thinking back to the doctrine of the knowability of God, and remember that's the idea that God has revealed himself to his creation for the purpose of being known, brings up a much larger question that you may be wondering. If God doesn't need us, or maybe to phrase it a little gentler, if God doesn't require us to be whole or satisfied, then why did he create us? One of the simple answers is because God is a God who enjoys relationship. From the very opening of the Bible, the reader is introduced to the Spirit of God who hovers over the waters. At this point, it could be that this is just an expression of God's divine exercise routine. But just 24 verses later, the Bible gives us a closer look into what's going on in the creation account. Because for the first time in recorded history, we get to hear not just the voice of God in creating, but what God desires. In Genesis 1.26, we are told that God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Wait a minute, us and our? It's at this moment that the reader has to ask a really important question. Who is us? The answer to this question is traditionally given by way of one single word, Trinity. Now, it is worth noting that the word Trinity is found nowhere in the Bible, but this word is used to describe a truth that is unquestionably biblical. Take, for instance, what may be the most concise Trinitarian passage in all of the Bible, the Great Commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28:19, where Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus could have used the name God here, and that would make sense considering he does talk a lot about God's kingdom. But instead, he opts for Father, Son, and Spirit. Why? It's because Jesus is teaching an important truth. He's revealing the personhood of God. He's clarifying who the us is in Genesis 1. Because this doctrine has been abused and misused in history, we should be clear to make two affirmations. First, God is one God. And second, this one God is three persons. Now, if you're thinking, how does that make sense? I could never be me, but also three individual people. That's correct, and we need to make sure that we don't begin the study of this doctrine by putting our limitations upon God, whether it be our physical limitations or our mental ones. So let's take a look at these two affirmations one at a time. First, God is one. The Bible makes it very clear that there is only one God. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6.4, when Moses teaches the nation of Israel the greatest commandment, he begins by saying, The Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Moses' desire is for Israel to understand that the most important aspect of their faith and worship is the reality that there is only one God in whom to place their faith and only one God worthy of their worship. And the Apostle Paul echoes this reality adamantly when he declares that God is one in Romans 3.30. Secondly, God is three persons. This truth is revealed most clearly in the New Testament with the revelation of God's saving grace. The reason this is so is because God's redemptive work is affected in the lives of believers through the work of three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, while all three persons are God, they are not functionally the same. To put it plainly, the Father is God, but He is not the Son or Spirit. The Son is God but he is not the Father or Spirit. And the Spirit is God, but he is not the Father or the Son. Jesus himself makes this point clearly in John 14, 26, when he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Here, the Bible gives us a clear distinction of roles. 
But it's not yet the whole picture. We have the three persons, but how are they united as God? This is where a passage like John 1.18 helps us to see the fuller picture. Here the Bible tells us that no one has ever seen God, but that the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Here we are to understand that the only God at the Father's side is Jesus, but that Jesus also makes known the God whom no one has ever seen, which is the Father. And so, Jesus in revealing God is revealing the Godness of the Father. And yet, Jesus comes in the flesh, and the Father remains in heaven. And when Jesus returns to heaven, he leaves us with the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so, what we are left with is one God in three persons, the Blessed and Holy Trinity. Trinity.